This is an ABC podcast. I think I describe it as a country that is broken. Please do something and please release some oxygen supply. Everywhere what I sense is a kind of cocktail of rage, despair, devastation, loss and helplessness. People need it here. To the Australian people, I would just say that you know we are Australian citizens as well. The smaller cities are facing a severe crisis as well, and that's why India is asking for global help. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Today on the Conversation Hour, India. As Vivian on our Facebook page so perfectly said, we are all affected by this. It's a tragedy unfolding and we all watch in horror. As Victorians, we know what to do and how to help one another in a times of crisis. We are generous with our time. We give financially what we can afford. But with this, we are watching and hearing. Do we know how to help? And as so many people have said, We feel helpless. Scenes are horrific. People are dying in the street. Cars are lined up like hospital beds. Large public areas in the capital are now being converted into critical care hospitals. People are buying and selling oxygen on the black market. And, of course, families are devastated. Did you know across Victoria, the local Indian community is home to the largest community in Australia? And that's part of the reason why we're seeing vigils, snap meetings. We're creating information pages to try and find ways to assist. And you will hear about some of that today. It's a huge part of our towns, our suburbs, our cities, our family, neighbours, friends and colleagues are all affected by what's unfolding. This message that came through to us already. My father and sister tested positive for COVID-19 in Mumbai. They've been in quarantine for over three weeks now. I wish I could help more. It's so hard being so far away. They're recovering and thankfully they don't need oxygen. But I have a lot of friends who I grow up with who have lost family members and it's just so heartbreaking. But one thing I know is that India has its way of surviving and thriving. But this time, India needs our help. We want to hear your stories today. If you have friends or family back home in India, how are they? And for you here locally, how are you? I think I describe it as a country that is broken. Please do something and please release some oxygen supply. Our focus today is on India, as it's in all of our minds. And in particular, if you're a part of the huge Indian-Victorian community, then we would love to hear from you too. Deepdi Aluka joins you. She is a community leader and volunteer from the city of Melton and surrounds. Deepdi, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. And I think like with so many people at the moment, we all want to help and we feel quite helpless and we don't know what to do as within your community you're seeing snap meetings and volunteer groups getting together how are people coming together and how are they helping each other at the moment oh you just nailed it you know rochelle that's the truth and the reality right now that we are seeing that everyone's stressed many of us have no idea what's going on back home uh There's just so much coverage on the news and media. And at the same time, the phones are just constantly ringing. Uh, The families, most of the Indian community members who are living here in Australia, you know, who are the Australian citizens and residents, some they have someone or the other back in India. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. And it's keeping them worried because obviously everyone's feeling helpless because we are so far off. Uh, from the country and not able to be there physically or giving them the emotional support. So I think all of us are hanging here and trying to do whatever we can in our capacity. Uh, There are a lot of uh, local organizations and local uh, volunteers who are taking the initiative of doing so many things uh, at such a short notice because this has escalated. We had no idea it's going to go to this stage. And it's unfortunate to see what's happening back home. In just a moment, we're actually going to cross live to Mumbai and speak to your father-in-law, who is an incredible man. He's been labelled a COVID hero. He himself is in that, I guess, vital age bracket of being over 70, but he is a cardiologist. He's been working for over a year uh, within the hospital in Mumbai. But this has affected your family personally already, hasn't it? Your mum had COVID. You've lost family members. Yes, actually, uh, 
it's unfortunate. My my aunt, she passed away due to COVID. My mother had the COVID, uh, you know, but it, again, in India, there is variation of COVID. So she recovered, thankfully, and by the grace of God. And yes, of course, uh, my father-in-law, he is a real hero. He has been working hard. And there are so many out there. All the frontline heroes, uh, we just salute their spirit that they are going beyond their uh, capacity to help everyone. How often are you speaking to to family back home? I mean, I'm, people are you know saying, "Oh, look, I'm, I'm checking in multiple times yes. a day. We're trying to do what we can." People are buying oxygen for their family members here in Melbourne and getting it delivered to their families in Delhi. How? What's the communication like at the moment? Oh, it's it's constant. And like I said, you know, because or uh, if there is someone who we know is not feeling well or he's needing help. There's constant uh, connection to just make sure that some kind of help is provided using all the resources we have. Uh, and even that could mean for families who are local here. You know, we are in touch with our friends here who are feeling helpless and trying to find anything possible. It could be an oxygen cylinder or a bed in the hospital uh, back in India. You know, it could be in Delhi. It could be any city. You know, it could be getting an oximeter for that matter. So there's just so many things uh, that are required at this stage. And just trying to keep in touch with anyone and everyone, uh, especially at this stage, just giving them that, you know, comfort yeah. that you're there. We are there. One three hundred triple two seven seven four. If you'd like to join today's conversation, frustration as always when we see tragedy, when we see huge amounts of trauma kicks in deep deep and we're seeing that both overseas but we're also seeing that locally you're seeing people act out on the on our healthcare workers in parts of India we're seeing blame being shifted even here locally lots of stereotypes and assumptions around why this has happened 12 months on how do we get around that a little bit and how do we just try and keep perspective and to not try and find blame here See, I think uh, people at this stage, no one was expecting, you know, this kind of deluge and the numbers in the uh, casualties and the deaths is just enormous. It's beyond imagination. So I think people have are kind of coming to the situation out of frustration, wanting to blame someone. And, you know, in that blame uh, scenario, uh, I think we are losing the essence of staying calm and supportive. But again, I would just say that there are few who would be blaming the system or whatever's there which they are thinking is the cause of covid but again there are so many uh, out there who are wanting to support and help at any time of the day or night you know there's no uh, stoppage at that so i think it's more important that we to not blame anyone at this stage because covid doesn't come in forms you know it's not identifying humans on the basis of their political preference on the basis of their religion on the race creed country it's it's out there everywhere everyday life and there's been lots of chat around well it's because of the re- ongoing religious festivals and mass gatherings of people, yet we've just seen, you know, 85,000 gather at the MCG. But when we're talking about everyday life and 1.3 billion people, how does COVID fit into that world? And, and, and I know, yes, masks and doing what we can, but if you've never spent time in India, if you've never lived in India, do we really understand what it's like to live amongst 1.3 billion people and how you can or can't socially distance? Well, that's a very valid uh, point you mentioned here, Rochelle, because I like, uh, I'm sure there are many listeners out there who would know that I I was born and brought up in Mumbai, which is one of the most crowded cities in India. Uh, I came to Australia over 12 years ago. So I have lived that life. You know, I have been in that population. I have uh, traveled in the local trains and I've seen people live in a small 10 by 10 room, you know, like 10 to 15 of them just, you know, cramped up. At the same time, I've also seen uh, people using public toilets. So there is, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the grit that the uh, local heroes have and, you know, uh, who are trying hard to work and still find uh, places or, you know, ways to find solutions and get, you know, the isolation in place. But it's, honestly speaking, it's very hard because there are so many daily income earners, you know, and they do not have that kind of resource or income to go and self-isolate themselves, you know, and stay. Most of the people are dying out of hunger, and, you know, they, they don't have food to eat. So, yes, there is COVID, but I'm just worried about the aftermath. After this pandemic, you know, once it peaks and once it dies down, what's going to happen after that? That's what keeps me awake most of the times. Jason Berwick. Hi, Jay. Hi, Rochelle. Um, just wanted to share my experience. So I was repatriated back from India in May last year. 
um, I had, uh, with my two very young sons and my wife, uh, we had gone there um, to see our grand- my son's grandparents, uh, and we got stuck there for about a couple of months. But luckily, we were able to come back in May last year. Um, and since then, my father-in-law has passed away uh, due to COVID in October last year. Uh, my mother-in-law is just by herself. She cannot make her way out here. And my father has been infected with COVID about three weeks ago, and he's currently recovering. So that's the that's the context in terms of uh, what we face. Uh, but what I want to really say is it just feels at the moment that uh, we seem to have uh, two tiers of citizenship here, that if uh, you are a citizen and in Australia, then we'll take care of you from the government's perspective. But if you are a citizen but not in Australia and in, and in one of the red-hot zones, then look, uh, you just have to fend for yourself. We, we can't really worry about you. Uh, that's the... Uh, obviously the politicians are not saying that, but that's the message mm. that's coming across. I was reading today, Bill Shorten has come out and said, in t- this is in terms of getting Australians home, you know, those that are desperate to get home, that we did this with the Lebanese civil war, he said. We've done it at other times. We've sent warships in the past to rescue people. It's just what we do. It's fundamental to who we are. Do you think that we are letting people down? Or at the same time, I've also heard people from our local Indian community here say, I understand why flights are stopped and why people aren't coming home. Where do you sit when it comes to looking at what we should and shouldn't be doing, Jay? Look, I, I completely agree with the point of view that we need to uh, safeguard the public health uh, in Australia, but I don't think we should be pitting one set of citizens against the other set of citizens uh, because we shouldn't be favouring or preferencing one set of citizens against the other. We have to look after all the citizens ir- irrespective of where they are or who they are. Uh, we have to find the solutions to bring them back, maybe isolate them um, in the middle of Australia or wherever you find uh, the spot to do that. And, you know, we had a year to have better quarantining facilities. Uh, you look at other countries, you look at Germany, you look at the UK, you look you look, look at USA, they had flown planes to all parts of the world to bring back their citizens, irrespective of what situation they were in. And they didn't ask for money. They, 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 it was all paid by the government. But here, we, the Indian standard uh, or the Australian standard in India are not asking for any payout. They're just saying, just let us get back in. And they're happy to pay the money required for that. They're happy to pay for the quarantine. Uh, But the government is shutting the doors. Ray, thank you so much for your call. And I'm so sorry to hear about your loss as well. Let's actually cross live now to Mumbai to somebody that you know very well, Deepdi, which is your father-in-law. He has been hailed a COVID hero over the age of 70. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that, but has been working tirelessly in one of the busiest COVID hospitals in Mumbai. Dr. Iqbal Bagasravala joins us now. Iqbal, a huge warm welcome to the Conversation Hour and the work that you're doing there is incredible. Can you just take us through or paint a picture of of what daily life is like for you in hospital? Okay, I think uh, uh, I work with a hospital uh, known as Saifi Hospital, which is located in South Mumbai, just opposite the Journey Road Station. And I am a practicing physician there. Uh, since way back, I've been part of the old hospital and now 42 years with the same institution. And uh, we are a 250-bedded multi-speciality hospital. And uh, we had the first calamity of uh, COVID way back when COVID just started in India. And uh, the, the Bombay Municipal Corporation had to request us to switch over to doing COVID patients since the need for treating COVID patients was very huge and number of institutions that were there were not able to handle the load. And so I've been uh, part of that COVID care facility all the way down ever since COVID started, maybe a year and a quarter back. And that's the thing, it has been a year and a quarter and many people around the globe now are asking how did this happen? How did it get to be this bad? I'm sure you've asked yourself those <coughs> questions, Iqbal. Do you have any answers? Well, I think uh, it's like any any uh, flu epidemic that we've been seeing uh, year after year as a professional that we've been noticing. But the magnitude has been different with this one. The uh, infectivity of this virus, as we know as COVID-19, has been far more aggressive than the previous flu uh, epidemics that we've seen. And with the result, the rate of transmission from one to the other has been far more rapid than the previous ones. 
Uh, the second bad point about this virus has been that its mortality rate has been higher than the previous virus epidemics that we have seen. I think we have seen probably a, a mortality rate of about 1% with this virus. And it, it in the first phase, it got only the elderly and created more problems, more over the age of 60 with comorbid conditions like diabetes, obesity, and things like that. But unfortunately, in the second phase, the story has turned out to be very different. Uh, Kaka, this is Deepti. Uh, how are you? Fine. Thank you, Deepti. Good morning. Good morning, Kaka. Thank you so much <coughs> for, you know, uh, coming on live and uh, sharing what's happening at the ground real- no, and showing us the re- giving us a reality check. Now, Kaka, I am in the studio with Rochelle and I am uh, wanting to even talk to you about what you- we were discussing the other day. You know, that you'd, like you mentioned, there are so many things in terms of the shortages uh, uh, from the vaccines and uh, the oxygen cylinders and, you know, even food for that matter. So uh, would you want to share some of the, you know, those things that we just discussed, discussed the other day? See, like I just mentioned, the, this, we, the Indian healthcare system has not been probably the best in the world, but it was adequate to take care of its population for the kind of illnesses and disease that we've been having. Yeah. But this epidemic has got us, uh, you know, absolutely with, uh, with our back against the wall. And therefore, there has been shortages of beds because first, there was a fear psychosis. Anybody who tested positive wanted to be in the hospital because he feared he would die. I think now people are getting a little better grip of it, but still, the second phase, the, the second phase of the virus has been uh, terrible, mm-hmm. and the number of people testing positive are too rapidly. And therefore, I think if the first phase, maybe one in every hundred got infected, now I think if you see the curves, it's almost a thousand for a hundred in the previous mm-hmm. epidemic or the previous year's infection. So it's almost 10 times. And you can understand that means 10 times the volume of patients. I, I generally say for every 100 people that are infected, about maybe 10 to 15% of those would need some observation in an institution. And out of that, only maybe 3 to 5% would require more critical handling. So although the numbers are proportionately small, the number of people getting infected has created a lot of problems. With the result... Uh, We've been creating, you know, quarantine facilities, temporary healthcare facilities, which are devouring oxygen. One of the biggest needs of this primary care for all patients in this kind of infective uh, epidemic mm-hmm. has been three things that we need. One is a bed. We need the doctor. We need the nurse. We need tons of oxygen. We need some of the drugs which are plus minus, but there are some drugs which are useful. Fortunately, the useful drugs, the availability is enough. But the question mark drugs, like you have the remdesivir and the uh, tocilizumab and all, which are, uh, you know, the ones that are used for the more critically, those that have not been able to match the needs that have arisen. So, one, we have a little shortage of drugs, which our government is trying hard to try and procure it and make it available. And hopefully we'll start uh, okay. to see some of these, the aid come come through. I mean, there has been a, a cry for, for global assistance as yeah. well. Iqbal, I'm wondering, <clears throat> I saw on, on the news last night and like so often yeah. when things get really dire, people get frustrated and they get angry and it's our healthcare workers that are the first to cop that. Cop it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are you getting and seeing any of that aggression within your hospital in Mumbai? Yes, yes, it's a universal phenomenon. You see, when you when you are told that you're near and dear one is critical and you may lose that person, and you at the same time tell him that, I'm sorry, I, he needs this medication, see if you can get it from somewhere. We don't have it. It's going to create anger in the minds of the patients. I mean, that's uh, something, but I think uh, that is something that we uh, as professionals have now learned how to face. And although the fault is not ours, the brunt comes on us, either the institution or the individuals. And uh, that has been a big, big, big setback for us as a professional community. I could imagine that you're almost probably at the end of your career. You're over the age of 70. Did you expect to be working? I'm sorry, Kaka, I leaked Oh, no, I found out your age. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But this is... This is an incredible contribution that you are making and to, to do this day in, day out for over a year, uh, a year and a half, this would be having a big impact on you personally as well. No, I think it, it, it hardens you up with time, but you are absolutely right. 
I don't think I've seen anything like of this magnitude. You see, we've had plagues where, where we've had an epidemic of plague, which was predominantly focused in Surat, not Bombay was kind of on the edge, things like that. But nothing ever, 70 years of, I mean, 42 years of practice, I have not seen anything like this in the past. This is the first time that we've seen something hit us of this magnitude. Now, Kaka, uh, may I ask, you know, uh, I know we discussed this, but, you know, I would really like to bring this here on this forum because there are so many listeners in Australia who are keen to support and help. Uh, and uh, you are there and you know what's exactly happening. Would you be able to tell us, you know, exactly what is the way that, you know, people around the world can support India at this time where we, I think, uh, any kind of help should be able to, you know, uh, sourced. So, essentially, if, if anybody in the world community can provide us with the, I think the one first area is, I think our India is trying hard to get the vaccination program on the fast track. And I understand there is some difficulty in procuring the raw materials from abroad, where the institutes, I mean, the, the companies which are trying to manufacture the vaccine are, are having some difficulties. If the world community could arise and make sure that we get the raw materials so that the vaccines can be produced through our government sources, whatever way the means are, I think that would be the first thing in the right direction that will help us very quickly vaccinate our population because that's going to be the, the, the best thing that we can do for ourselves. For ourselves. That's number one. Number two, like the drugs that I mentioned, I think the, 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 there are on the north, sometimes they're available, sometimes they're not available. Whatever are the manufacturing capabilities of our Indian companies, I think they are at the maximum. But again, if there are other countries in the world where they have surplus of this and not using it, and if they can export it to India, that would be a good thing that yeah. we will be able to use it to our advantage. Well, I hope Oxygen, that people listen. Yeah, and I hope, yes. that you, I hope that these aids get you. We're actually close well, to Oxfam well, I, I, as well. I, you see, the difficulty is that I, I, India, the world needs to show the same generosity that India has shown. You'll be amazed to know that we have given vaccines to the, a lot of countries in the world when we had enough and we didn't need it because at the end of the first phase, India was India felt that we had tied yeah, it over the crisis. And we gave away so much of our vaccines that today we are trying that we need the vaccines. So, well, I think if we can show generosity to the world, it's time that the world also showed generosity to us. Absolutely, Kaka. And uh, again, thank you so much uh, for, you know, taking this time out. Uh, I know you have to start your day and you've gotten up early just to uh, give us... When was the last time you both saw each other? (laughs) Well, we've not, not during the COVID time. I think it was, I don't know, two, three years ago, maybe. When I was in India? Yeah, think, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But now, thank you so much, Kaka. I appreciate this. Okay, all right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Iqbal Bagas Ravala. Have I completely butchered his name? Did nah, you? you you did all right. It's Dr. Iqbal Bagas Ravala. So. Thank you. <laughs> what, what a... What a father-in-law to have. I mean, no wonder he's been labelled a COVID hero. You must worry about him, though. I mean, like so many doctors, they just take it yes. in their stride and they do what they do. But what he is doing, you must worry about him. Oh, well, we do worry. And I think it's the same with all the doctors and all the health practitioners, you know, over the around the world. Uh, but yes, as a family member, we do get concerned and worried because... Uh, He's going to the hospital where he's exposed, you know, and he is work. He's at that age where he's struggling, uh, you know, and he's trying his best to provide what he can uh, to the community. So, yes, it's worrisome, but we are so proud of him and what he's doing. It's uh, it's amazing feeling. It's like a warrior, you know, it's like someone at the war. Really is. Praveen is called from Glenroy. Hello. What did you want to say? Uh, hi, Rachel. Thanks for taking my call. That's okay. Um, and first of all, I wanted to, you know, uh, acknowledge the hard work and things, you know, uh, like Deepthi and Dr. Iqbal have been doing within the Indian community. And I, I come from uh, south of India and I work closely with a lot of uh, international students. But my experience has been very different and uh, not different. You know, each story has its own their variations, but it's very heart-wrenching. I've, you know, all my life i've never seen so many people that i know have passed away in a single week had a classmate uh you know i had someone who grew up with me you know and all these people are not not really old they're about you know uh, early 40s or uh, or late 30s so it's it's a lot of young people dying as well um but 
I think it's 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 very you know heart wrenching what's what's happening there, and a um, lot of international students as well are facing a lot of problems because of the failure of our federal government. Uh, they not only uh, not only international students, even residents. You know, I have a story of uh, a, uh, a doctor who wants to get their parents here because she's heavily pregnant and going through a lot of depression, but she couldn't get her parents back here to help her, and she doesn't have help or support. Yeah, that's um, a really common I, story, isn't it? Deepti, you actually know Praveen, Yeah, actually. Right? <laughs> Hello, Praveen. <laughs> this is Deepti. How Hello, are you? Deepti, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thank, thank you. Thank you for calling in and sharing your story. And, uh, yes, there are many, like, like you mentioned, you are working with a lot of... Uh, uh, in international students and youth being a migration agent. So it, it was fantastic to hear from what you have to share. And also the, uh, you, you know, know... I wanted to make one point clear, you know, the, the yep. failure of the federal government to really, you know, not only now, now we having a pandemic, you know, we don't, we close the flights, international flights, but even before that, they could have taken some responsibility and, you know, put a federal quarantine where we could have increased our limits, you know. Uh, I, I appreciate what, what the federal government has done, putting billions of dollars uh, into the economy. I, I still can't believe why couldn't they spend a, a big amount of that money uh, towards the federal quarantine and, and create yeah. a quarantine industry, you know, somewhere in, 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 in Christmas Island or yeah. somewhere where we could have brought uh, people in and we could have had uh, all uh, the 8,000 or 10,000 Australian yeah, citizens I think lots stranded. of people are thinking yes. that that's a, a, a similar solution. Praveen, thank you so much. I am going to try and get through some, some more calls, calls in, in just a moment because we do have a full board. But let's actually go to Ballarat now because as we said at the beginning of the program, yep. We here in Victoria, we have the largest Victorian India or Indian community mm-hmm. in all of Australia. So this is a huge part of our, our daily lives, our family, our friends, our colleagues, whoever it may be. It is affecting all of us. So let's go to Ballarat. Sure. Geetha Stephen is the secretary of the Ballarat Indian Association. Geetha, welcome. How is your community, I guess, bo- um, bonding together at the moment? And, and, and what are you talking about when it comes to how you can help and support each other? Uh, thank you, Rochelle. Thank you for having me on air and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned that, you know, I'm part of the Ballot Indian Association. So we've had, um, you know, uh, quite a few emergency meetings among uh, the committee members. And, uh, you know, as a first step, and, you know, we wanted to provide moral support for anybody uh, who is here in Ballarat to see, you know, if their immediate family is affected and if we can provide any support from here to help them back in India. So that's the, you know, first uh, initiative what we have taken for now. And uh, yes, uh, you know, we are going to, or we are foreseeing a few more meetings which we are going to discuss more about, uh, you know, how we can support uh, the community from here uh, to, you know, back in India if there is anybody who's really looking Mm -hmm. for any help. And I know yourself, Geetha, in terms of, I guess, there's the community response, but then there's your own personal response and and steps that you're taking. And am I correct in believing that you have found a way, you've bought oxygen, you've sent oxygen, a a machine to your family in India just in case so that you have backup there? Um, Absolutely, uh, Rochelle. I mean, it's definitely, you know, heartbreaking to see all the footages and know about things, what's happening there uh, with your uh, immediate family and friends. Um, So as you rightly mentioned, uh, and also you would have seen few of the footages where um, there's scarcity of oxygen in hospitals and people are waiting in queue. So what, um, you know, we, uh, our family and friends, what we thought was, you know, we can go for some uh, you know, the oxygen concentrator machines which are there available in the market, uh, which can be as a backup for any family and friends who are in need. So currently, you know, from the personal front, we are planning to, uh, you know, accommodate that for the extended family and friends as well. But uh, as an immediate family, um, it's like my in-laws and, you know, their siblings. So for their family, they have uh, you know, arranged for this uh, machine as a backup in their house. So that's where, you know, I had mentioned about, uh, you know, we supporting them yeah. from here. Gosh, it's confronting when you when it gets to the point that that's what you have to do. Geetha, how big is the 
Indian community in Ballarat? Um, in Ballarat, uh, we have, uh, you know, around uh, 250 to 300 families, which should be around 2,500 uh, individuals. So that's the, you know, number of community members we have in Ballarat. Uh, Keita, hi. Uh, my name is Dipti, and thank you so much, you know, for sharing what you're doing. It's amazing work. Uh, I live in uh, the local area of Milton Council, you know, I live in Taylor's Hill, and uh, we've been doing a lot in terms of supporting our local communities as well. Now, Keita, do you think it would be, uh, because I think all of us are trying and working towards the same cause, that's supporting our family, friends, and people who we know uh, in India, do you think it would be a better idea for us to all come together and provide a platform or, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, association or a network wherein we all can, you know, work off each other together yeah. and you know, support the people overseas? Absolutely, Deepti. I mean, you know, uh, more than happy to be part of it. And uh, definitely, you know, here the yeah. community members are for it. And I'm sure, you know, everybody will be happy to lend their hands in whatever yeah. possible way. And the more stronger and the more number we are, yeah, uh, you know, together, probably we can uh, give more support from course, here, whatever yeah, possible. Of course. Keitha, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing for your community. And I wish your family all the best. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you again. Geetha Stevens, she's the Secretary of the Ballarat Indian Association. And Dipti, you would know very well how to put that together because this is sort of what, this is what you live and breathe. You're, you're a volunteer for multiple organisations. You're a huge part of your community during COVID. You got together, you helped people, you fed people. I mean, this is you and your element here, isn't it? What's going through your mind in terms of what needs to be done and what we can actually do? See, uh, no, thank you, Rochelle, for sharing that. But, uh, Yes, that's what I'm passionate about, you know, supporting uh, people and showing compassion and listening to them genuinely and, you know, have that genuine empathy. I think that's what I thrive on. Uh, last year, when the COVID pandemic hit, uh, you know, even our country, Australia, and we had to, well, we just tried to provide meals, you know, to the local community members. And that's when we saw, you know, face to face. Yes, I'm listening to the stories through our family and friends from overseas. But when I saw it happen here, it was very devastating. You know, there were... There is support from the government that, that you know, people were receiving, uh, you know, uh, funds in terms. But even then, there were so many mouths and so many people who were helpless and not having enough grocery or food. So that was very touching. So at this stage, yes, the reason I asked Geeta was because I am sure there are many communities in uh, the Victorian Indian community, you know, who are working, finding whatever ways they can. Yeah. And I was actually thinking of bringing all of them together on one platform, which would benefit, I think, on a larger scale uh, to our uh, families and friends back home. If we can help in any way, if it's a conduit of some description to be able to help bring all of those networks together, then we will certainly here at the ABC do what we can to, Thank to you help so you much. Thank in you your work it, it is incredible the amount of effort that you put into your local community they're very lucky in melton i must say Dipti. Uh, i am i'm lucky to be see when i walked in into this country i just came with my husband and my kids today i had no family here now today all my community local community people are my family so that's the village that my children are you know using uh what i'm using rather to raise my children so i am grateful to the community that i live in so this is the least i could do Kate's in Melbourne. Hi, Kate. Thanks for coming, taking my call. I want to say that I've been to India three times and we were treated so generously by people there and we ended up getting a small purse so that we could help the beggars on the streets because we only had, you know, a um, particular type of money. And the people were so generous and so kind to us, and I just can't imagine how awful these things must yeah. be for them. Um, I just want to let you know that because I've been there, I just um, feel so much for them, and um, that's all I can say, really. I'm in a comfortable house in, um, in Melbourne, and um, it's just so different from what they are having to go through and that's all I wanted yeah. to say well, really. Kate, you said it beautifully and I think that's how all of us feel. I mean it's getting to the point 
sometimes too where I watch the news and I'm crying and then I feel angry and then I feel hopeless and then I feel privileged and I go through this roller coaster of emotion and I'm disconnected. So I don't know how you and your community are managing to get through this. I can just tell Kate, I love you for what you just said. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And I think that's the strength uh, that, you know, if we can give everyone who is going through this phase, uh, that, that it will be amazing. And that's all about it is inclusiveness. And uh, thank you for those yeah. words. Good on you, Kate. Rani's in Craigieburn. Rani, welcome. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, actually, uh, it's been uh, it's been a very tough situation for us. Like, like we are here in Melbourne, my, my wife and uh, one of my uh, my brother-in-law, he's in Europe, and my uh, my in-laws, like my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, they are living by their own uh, in uh, Noida, that's next to Delhi, and they have been infected with the COVID, so they are living on their own. They are nobody is there to look after them, and we don't have any. You know, we are, we are, we feel very helpless. We cannot do anything here. Uh, every time we call them, you know, we we, we feel so. We, we, are, we feel so helpless, actually. Uh, they are, they are, their, their condition is not good. We try to console them, but, you know, we cannot do anything because they are, they are, they are just, you know, alone and nobody is there to take care of them. And we are stuck here. Yeah. So that's a kind of what I feel. That's a helplessness we we never felt. But I, I think that's the word, isn't it? It's heartbreaking and helplessness is is what we're all feeling. Rani, we wish you all the best, and we wish your family and and friends back home all the best as well. Let's go back to India, Deepji. Let's go to Delhi to try and get an idea of what sort of resources are coming in. You know, we know that there has been a call for the globe to cough up some aid to get some help and some assistance. Pankaj. Anad is the Oxfam's Program and Humanitarian Director currently in India. Yeah. Welcome to the Conversation Hour. Are you getting what you need? Is is help arriving? Yes, we need a lot of help uh, from around the world. Uh, the help is, is reaching uh, slowly now. We need a lot of PPE kits. We need surgical masks. We need we need surgical gowns, goggles. Uh, we need uh, uh, the oxygen here, the oxygen plants and oxygen concentrators. Uh, and a lot of other things are needed here. Uh, plus, in addition, uh, because, of the, because of the poverty situation created because of extended lockdowns last year, people having lost their, their livelihood, their jobs, um, a lot of people are in distress and, and also that uh, a lot of money is needed to, to buy food for, uh, for, for the most marginalized and the most vulnerable people. So we are actually facing two challenges. Yeah. One is the, the big challenge of uh, addressing the health concerns, the shortage of uh, essential medical supplies. And on the other hand, dealing with the problem of uh, malnutrition and hunger. Dipti, this is what you were talking about, exactly. wasn't it? Yeah, I am. I am glad that you did uh, bring that up, uh, Pankaj. My name is Dipti, and I was just having a chat with a couple of people in India, and I think this is exactly what was shared: that uh, there are many people not just dying due to COVID, but also due to hunger. So, what are the uh, what what do you think right now are you getting as help and what is it that you would like more uh, in terms of, you know, uh, yes, I know there are many countries who are actively supporting India at this stage by providing the governments are providing uh, the PPE kits and the masks and stuff. But when it comes to hunger, how, how do you think we can support it? Because we are very concerned and wanting to help in that space. So uh, the problem is the irony of ironies is that India is a food surplus country. Exactly, yeah. And 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 yet uh, many many Indians uh, in the bottom twenty percent they are going hungry. True. So so what we need is uh, funds and people on the ground to be able to deliver food to to the most marginalized and the most vulnerable people uh-huh. who lost their jobs. Uh, and, and the humanitarian agencies in, in India, like Oxfam India, they are doing their bit 
They are reaching out. Last year, we reached out to people in 16 large states of India. Uh, we did. We reached out to uh, half a million people affected by COVID-19 in the first wave. In addition, we also uh, uh, have been doing other responses, for example, the cyclone Amphan response, the flood response in Assam and Bihar, which actually became like uh, a double tragedy for people. So, so uh, we have people on the ground. We have people uh, working 24-7 here. Uh, so it's basically hospital supplies on the one hand, and for addressing the issue of uh, food insecurity and hunger, to be able to buy more food for people. Pankaj, uh, 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 can I ask you, would it be all right if we in Australia, all the citizens, you know, and I wouldn't say just Indian community because I have been personally reached out by many non-Indian uh, citizens of Australia who are wanting to help and be part of some kind of you know, donation drive. So do you think we can probably connect with you and take this further? Oh, yes, Deepti, okay. absolutely. I think uh, I, I would uh, exhort all Australians uh, to do whatever they can do uh, to help Indians in this time of, of great crisis. Yes. It feels uh, and like this, an is, this is a complete uh, apocalyptic situation here, completely unmitigated disaster. I know I heard uh, one worker, you know, out there doing very similar work to yourself, humanitarian work, say it feels like anything that comes in is just a drop in the ocean, you know, because it's so huge when not only you look at the population, but as you said, we sort of have multiple major issues at play here. This is going to take a long time, isn't it? This is the long game here is huge. Does that concern you about how long it's going to take and at what point it starts to fall off the front pages of newspapers around the globe? Uh, yes, it is going to be uh, a, a, a long effort. Uh, we will have to dig in for a very long time. This is not going to go away. Uh, because, you know, uh, on the one side, the, the, the challenge on the health front, if you, uh, if you see the number of uh, the cumulative people uh, dead would be 665,000 by the end of July. Uh, but, but, but the situation is not going to ease even on the health front by the end of the year. Uh, and and the long term impact of uh, COVID nineteen second wave is going to is going to remain for a much longer time. Look after yourself. Stay safe. Thank you so much for joining us and just giving us a small insight to what's happening on the streets in Delhi. Thank you, Rachel. Pankaj Anad, he is Oxfam's Program and Humanitarian Director currently in India. We will try and get to your calls in just a moment. Deepti Aluka is with you as well, Community Leader and Volunteer from the City of Melbourne. Let's go to Bendigo now because, as we said, we have got communities dotted all across Victoria. Abi, uh, Abi Wast, uh, sorry, Abi Sheik Abawasti. Uh, I have completely butchered your name. I'll, I'll fix that. Abi Can you Sheikh fix Abawasti, I think. Thank yes, you very much. You, yeah. You're in Bendigo. You've been living there for 10 years now. What's happening in the city of Bendigo at the moment? How are people getting together? No, thank you, Rochelle. And yes, it is Abi Sheikh Abawasti. Um, in Bendigo and uh, beyond Bendigo, I think so every Indian Australian living in Australia has been impacted by the crisis in one or another way, including myself and everyone that I know. But um, like, you know, And we know that the peak of the crisis may well be weeks away and there's always a constant state of uh, worrying about the loved one in India. So the important thing in this time is that I think so earlier on in um, in this I it was discussed that this is not a time for blame or uh, have politics which divides the need of R is that uh, um, there will be there are significant challenges and even on the other side there will be significant challenges that we make sure we support each other and there is that more than ever before there is the necessity of care and compassion and 
the necessity of staying positive and staying connected. And that's what um, we have been trying, that staying connected and looking after each other. Abhishek, how are your family? I know your brother and mum were in Victoria for the birth of your child, so congratulations. Thank you. How, how are they and, and where are they at the moment? Um, they, they, they were here last year and they were stuck with uh, flights being cancelled, but they took a Uber-style a charter flight uh, in February this year. So my mum and my brother, they've flown back. They are in uh, Himachal, uh, which is the north part of India and probably a low-density part uh, of India uh, where... Yes, there is COVID, but the impact of COVID is not that severe and devastating as we are looking at high-density areas, whether that's Mumbai or Delhi or Lucknow, in those those parts. And they have been vaccinated. They have had their two doses. They're doing okay. But India is a close knit community where connection and social and cultural gatherings they're a big part um, and um, they have been trying their best um, to stay at home as much as they can and uh, follow the protocols but that's been challenging where there is that social peer pressure that um, there is some kind of obligation that you go and be a part of those celebrations um, so health wise they are okay um, but they are doing uh, as best as they yeah. can in terms of staying separate. I can't imagine how helpless you must feel, and this is for so many people, and it happened throughout the pandemic you know, across the globe, but when you know a family member needs help and you're on the other side of the world and you're not even sure what you can do, can you get oxygen to them? Can you have backup plans? Can you get food to them? Can you ensure that they stay safe or that they stay indoors? Just having... That distance. You must be in constant contact, Abhishek, with your family. Absolutely. Constant contact, multiple times a day. And uh, not only reaching out to them, but having that conversation and reiteration of that message that everyone needs to follow the safety protocol. And it starts with you. So don't fall into pressure. Stay at home and take care of your mental health, your physical health um, and um, your social well-being at the same time. And everyone can help in some way, whether that's through bigger organizations. And I've always been a big fan of a smaller initiatives at the local level. We talked about medical supplies and uh, other essential needs, but uh, um, you know, if we are, if also from overseas, yes, we are helpless, but we can help um, right. and connect with local yeah. charities who do groundwork, especially around food. Um, like you know, uh, there are local organizations like Bendigo Future and overseas they are similar, who actually support people with food when they're stuck in hospital on streets and can't afford yeah. because their livelihoods are lost. Uh, Abhishek, thank you so much for joining us and we wish your family all the best as well. No, thank you. Abhishek Awasti, he is in Bendigo, lived there for around a decade now. His family just returned home to India. Let's try and get to some calls as well, people that have been waiting uh, so patiently. Raj, I think, is in Essendon. Hi, Raj. Uh, hi, Michelle. Deputy, I think you know, are you about to say, you, do you want to chat to Raj? Uh, is that Dr. Raj Killen? Yes, I am. How are you, Dr. Raj? I'm very well, thank you, Deputy. Thanks for calling in. Please yeah. let us know what you think about the situation. Oh, look, the situation is, is very overwhelming and desperate, um, uh, as we all know, back in, in, back in India. And, and that has been evolving for last, if we see, you know, different part of the uh, India from, started in Mumbai from February, and now we are in the end of April. So situation over that time, it hasn't happened over, like an overnight on one, one night or, uh, or over one day. So what is more frustrating for me is is the the lack of preparedness uh, from the the whole uh, ministry bureaucracy side, despite the fact we knew the second wave is coming in in February, and this I'm talking more from the medical perspective. Being a medical professional, things could have been done much in an anticipation, so step would have been taken. But anyway, that's that's a different issue. It's not to uh, sort of criticizing uh, anybody at this stage. More important thing is uh, wh- how to 
to create and more and more help and send help back to India. Yeah, and this is this is what is more needed at this stage. Yeah, Raj, thank you so much. And hopefully today we're coming up with those solutions. Aggie or Ashi, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, has been waiting for a long time. We might make our last call. Is in Hoppers Crossing. Welcome. Hi there, how are you? Good. What did you want to say? Um, look, it's been very hard because I lost my mom just when the COVID started. I'm losing all my friends. Oh, I'm so sorry. To, to wake up every day and see a text that this person is, is no more, it's very hard. Do you feel like you have the support that you need here locally? Look, locally, yes. I've got lots of friends here, but then back home, it's, it's, it's a completely different story on, at ground level. Um, I'm from Delhi, so I've got my friends who have got vaccinated. They're just on the streets you know, trying to help people. Are you okay? Yes. Oh, a, a heartbreaking doesn't even begin to describe. I can't imagine what you're going through and to have that distance between you as well. What are family members that you're speaking to at home in Delhi? What are they telling you now, Ash? Look, my dad is there. We've just got him in complete lockdown. So before my brother left uh, for Dubai, <clears throat> we installed uh, CCTV cameras in each room. And what we do is we just monitor him every night. And uh, if he doesn't pick up the phone, we speak into the camera. That's the only way we can communicate to him. <sighs> we really hope that you're okay and that you're able to, to connect with people. I'm, I'm really actually lost for words, Deepti. I'm not sure how to even yeah. help at this point other than giving you the biggest virtual hug that, that we can Thank give you. you right now. I think Thank that's you. what it is. You know, we have but, to stay strong. Yeah, uh, but uh, one thing is for sure, look, we, we all are fighting it and we're all in this together. And we will fight back. Absolutely. We will fight back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your call. It actually feels terrible to end on a call like that, but that's the reality of it, isn't it, is that it's heartbreaking, we feel hopeless, but then we need to continue to fight, don't we? Like Ash said, we... We need to be in this together and whether that be on a local level, whether it be on a global scale as well, to just do what we can and to try and look out and look after each other and not cast blame at this point. No, there's no point blaming anyone at this stage. It's all about coming together, like you said. What what we just heard from Aji, I think we all are listening from our families back home. We are listening from our local p- friends here who've lost their fathers, who've lost, you know, uh, who are stressed about getting oxygen cylinders and beds for their family members. I, I think, as Apli said by you, we have to come together and we have to make sure that sometimes it's just the fear of all this stress, all this news is kind of, you know, worrying people even much more than, you know, they can sur- they can survive COVID. I think sometimes it's just a fear that overtakes it. Uh, I think we have to really stay calm and composed. And I know it's hard, it's difficult, but at the same time, if we can do that to all our friends and uh, people that we know and connect to as many, sometimes people just want to listen to you, uh, want someone to listen to them. And uh, if we can do that, that would be amazing. So uh, I, if I can just say something quickly to all the Australians who are listening to this show, uh, please uh, show empathy towards everyone who is suffering. And at the same time, make sure that you are giving them an empathetic ear. Stay calm and uh, and ask all your family members in India to stay home. That's a very important message uh, that we have to mention to them. That is, do not take it lightly, but stay home. Tipti Aluka, community leader, volunteer from the city of Melton. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for joining us today. I feel like we have just touched the beginning here, but it's been an honour and a pleasure to spend some time with you. And it turns out you pretty much know everybody in Melbourne. So thank you so much. <laughs> no, I can't thank you for enough. your time.